Welcome back on this Saturday, the 16th day of July, 2022. I'm your host, Mark Call, and let's start off our look at what's going on around the nation and the world again, more or less chronologically, with the proviso, again, that a lot of this literally insults our intelligence. You wouldn't think people would even be putting up with it in a civilized society, even though most Americans are still oblivious to just how far it's gone. Yes, the evil Satanists have done it deliberately. It was a well-executed takedown. And the fact that so many Americans are still oblivious to it kind of emphasizes that point. Largely because so many people, not just in America but worldwide, have been dumbed down to the point where they won't know what hit them, even though so many are already dead men walking. So where does that leave us today? Well, honestly, let's just dive right in, starting with one of the places that keeps vying for the most idiotic, insane place on planet Earth, New York City. Which, as Max Slavo points out for SHTF Plan, has just reinstated their idiotic face diaper rebreather mandate. Yeah, another mask advisory, and where better, as the sixth wave, yeah, it's hard not to lose count, has already hit the fully vaxxed, revaxed, double and triple vaxxed city. And you'd think right there, people might start to figure it out. But hey, we're talking New York here, right? Says the piece, even though almost 88% of all New Yorkers over the age of 18 have been fully vaccinated, and that's even a moving target, the sixth wave of booga booga Fauci flu has allegedly begun to spread through the city. It's so bad that the communist overlords there are reinstating the mask advisory and demanding people wear masks indoors, too. Why not? To protect themselves. Are you really that stupid? from getting a disease that the vast majority of the city has already been double, triple, who knows how many times vaccinated against. And again, you'd think they would figure it out. According to Waste Media reports, the worst, and they put that in quotes, COVID variant, is spreading throughout the fully vaccinated population of the People's Republic of New York. It's called BA.5. And I guess that stands for badass. So you probably need poke number five appears to escape immunity, or at least escape whatever it is that people have been poisoned folk think they have, and transmit more easily, leading some to call it the worst version of Omicron yet. And a recent study on severe outcome risk from reinfection rates raises alarm bells, reported NBC New York. And Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn, the Bronx, and Staten Island have all been in the high CDC risk category for the latter half of May. They transitioned a bit through June, but the relief was short-lived because the poison poke people haven't figured it out yet, but they don't have any immunity anyway. Slavo kindly provides some New York City comic relief, like a poster from NYC Health asking the dumbed-down question, which masks provide the most protection against booga 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 COVID-1984? I'm inclined to suggest, folks, that for the answer, they could go find themselves a doggy poop disposal site and see whether or not they can smell it through whatever it is they're wearing. If they can, it's not protecting them. And if they can't, it's already too late. One last comment on this, or at least a related topic. I'm sure by now you've heard the fact that New York City has been issuing nuclear warnings to its uh, citizenry in the form of a PSA advising them on how to deal with the uh, maybe inevitable nuclear attack on the city. Go indoors. Well, that is if there's any indoors left. Turn on your radio. Well, that is if any radio stations are transmitting or you have any power. 
take a shower, that is, if there's any running water. Oh, and they don't even tell people to take iodine to deal with the inevitable fallout. How stupid is this? Well, you know what? I'm surprised they didn't say, put on your mask, because if anything will protect you from fallout, that will. After all, it worked great against COVID, right? I guess the truth is, anybody that's still in New York City at this point doesn't really want to survive anyway. All right, well, enough of that, folks. Let's move on now to this sign of the times from early in the week. The Electric Reliability Council of Texas, ERCOT. And if you remember that name, you're probably hearkening back to the blackouts not too long ago. Of course, that was wintertime. Anyway, they operate Texas's power grid, and they have asked households and businesses to conserve power of late, warning of potential rolling blackouts because the grid faces, quote, a potential reserve capacity shortage with no market solution available. That's because there's no market available anymore in communist USA, folks, said a notice released on Sunday night. Soaring temperatures are driving record power demand, and all of this, along with low wind output, which they were mandated to put their money on, could push the grid near its breaking point. And this is kind of funny in a sick, twisted way. A reporter at Dallas-Fort Worth WFAA tweeted, Buckle up and tighten up. Could be an iffy day for the Texas energy grid. Unquote, which prompts your host to add, Of course, what you don't want to do is drive your electric car, because you're not going to be able to charge that much anyway. Oh, yeah, and that prompts me to add this. Has anybody driving these things actually figured out what an air conditioner in an electric car does to your already very limited range and high recharge times? And no surprise here, midweek Tesla sent out a notice to the screens inside their vehicle saying, eh, maybe you ought to back off on charging this thing a bit because of the impact of the Texas power grid. At least that story lets me work this one in from Jessica Rabe of Data Trek Research via Tyler Turden and Zero Hedge. Only 14%, you got to wonder what's wrong with them, of U.S. survey respondents say they would definitely buy an electric vehicle. Not enough, the story notes, to support a vibrant used EV market, especially when you realize that putting a new battery in those stinking things is going to cost you more than a used car. But honestly, folks, it's the propaganda here I found interesting. Consumer Reports recently released the results of a nationally representative survey of 8,027 American adults on their views towards EVs. And some of the major takeaways include that 14% say they would definitely buy or lease an electric-only vehicle. Just a bit over half said they'd consider it. And 28% said no way, they wouldn't consider buying one. Now, the three top concerns that are listed here demonstrate a certain amount of ignorance, too. Number one, charging logistics, such as where and when I'd be able to charge it. They left off if. The number of miles was number two that the vehicle can go before it needs to be charged. Less, of course, if it's either hot or cold, because whether you have to run a heater or a cooler, it comes out of that same limited battery. And number three, the costs involved with buying, owning, and maintaining an electric-only vehicle. Like, since you probably can't afford to put a new battery in it and pay the actual cost as opposed to the subsidized ones, maybe you just have to throw it away. But oops, we got a disposal problem there, too. Isn't it funny, folks, how people who worry about your carbon footprint don't worry about disposing of their toxic EV battery? In terms of the charging-related concerns holding people back, and this too is illustrative, the top three were not enough public charging stations, nowhere to plug my car in to charge it at home, and 
Number three, the inconvenience of charging. How about there's not enough power in the entire electric grid to charge too many of these things, especially if they succeed in forcing more people into them. And if you had to pay the real costs, you couldn't afford it anyway. But the real crux of the story seems to boil down to tax incentives. Since these things aren't even remotely economically feasible, hey, how can we incentivize or force people into signing up for one anyway? Most respondents, 60%, said they were not too familiar or not familiar at all with the fundamentals of owning EV, nor, when it came to almost half the survey, were they familiar with the tax rebates and discounts at the time of purchase or lease. And I mentioned this survey and the story, folks, primarily because in this entire article, there's not even a hint of the fact that, no, if the entire United States were to transition to EVs tomorrow, there's no way on God's green earth that they'd be able to charge those EVs because the power grid would have long since gone down before even a significant fraction of that conversion. It's already going down anyway as they mandate wind and solar. And you know darn well there's no way they'll suggest anybody calculate how much natural gas, oil, or uh uh-oh, coal would have to be burned to even come close. And the point here is that this is where even simple engineering folks makes the obvious undeniable. They all know there is no EV in your future. As a matter of fact, there may not even be a future if they have their way. And that, of course, is the real point. Over the weekend and heading into Monday morning, there was big news out of Twitter. Seems like they've been lying about a whole lot of stuff, including just how many of the so-called Twitter users weren't actually real people at all. You know the terms, fakes and bots and, oh yeah, fraud. As the week came to a close, so apparently did Elon Musk's deal to buy Twitter. Once presumed purchaser Elon Musk sent a letter to Twitter terminating the merger agreement because, quote, Twitter is in material breach of multiple provisions of the agreement, and it appears to have made false and misleading representations upon which Mr. Musk relied when entering into the merger agreement and is likely to suffer a, and this is capitalized, company material adverse effect. And he notes that term is defined in the merger agreement. And as has been discussed now for quite some time, the problem seems to boil down to false and misleading representations, or the failure to provide information, particularly when it comes to fakes, fake users, a.k.a. bots. And it looks like there could be an SEC filing that might actually run afoul of the law as well. Twitter claims that the number of fakes and bots in their user base is something on the order of 5%, but Musk seems to think, and the evidence seems to back him up, that it's a whole lot more than that. He made these key points in the foregoing letter, saying Twitter is in breach of the merger agreement because the agreement appears to contain materially inaccurate representations, and that's a legal term. Specifically, Twitter represented that no documents that Twitter filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission since January 1 of 2022 included, quote, any untrue statements of a material fact, but it seems like they've been doing exactly that. And he goes through a whole lot of them. Furthermore, although Twitter has not yet provided complete information to Mr. Musk, he continues, that would enable him to do a complete and comprehensive review of spam and fake accounts on Twitter's platform, he has been able to partially and preliminarily analyze the accuracy of Twitter's disclosure regarding what's called its MDAU. And if you're curious about that, folks, I certainly was. It stands for Global Monetizable Daily Active Users. And they claim to have 229 million of them. Or is it a whole lot less? While the analysis remains ongoing, all indications, says the letter, suggest that several of Twitter's public disclosures regarding its MDAUs were either false or materially misleading. 
and these are very serious allegations. Before the weekend was out, Twitter, which originally didn't want to be bought out, then changed their mind, and that's where it stood for months until this last week, then threatened to sue for failure to complete the deal in a bid to force him to buy the socialist media platform for 44 billion fiat bucks at just over 54 bucks a share, way over market price. And on Sunday night, Musk tweeted out a series of photos of himself in a fit of laughter, saying, first they said I couldn't buy Twitter, then they wouldn't disclose bot info, now they want to force me to buy Twitter in court, and now he laughs, they have to disclose bot info in court. Which leads your host to be among the many, many today asking, gee, was that maybe the real agenda here all along? Or at least part of it. For just one example, S.D. Wells, writing for Natural News, asks, could it be that Elon Musk's real intent to purchase Twitter was a head fake to expose their fraud to the SEC and maybe destroy the company in the process? And if you want to do your own research to see what's happening here, he notes, don't try to use Google to do it. For their part, though, Zero Hedge noted that Twitter shares plunged as much as 9% in pre-market trading on Monday before paring the losses down a bit, although some analysts are now saying Twitter might trade as low as $24 after Elon Musk pulled his bid. At this point, your host has to admit, no, I don't claim to know what's really going on here, although I have seen the fraud and the censorship and all the other nastiness that Twitter's been involved in, along with all the other socialist media platforms for quite a while now. But I can't help but think that the real bottom line on some of these companies might be a lot closer to zero once people really figure it out. I guess time will tell. But still, I can't help but think we're probably not too far from the time now when a lot of people would rather have either food or diesel fuel than Netflix to Facebook or tweets. As the week wore on, however, no surprise, Twitter did sue Elon Musk. Let's move on from there to some other attempted insults at the collective intelligence of those who are still shaking their heads in disbelief, this time from the Church of England. They no longer, however, can tell a man from a woman, it seems, despite being, as the Sputnik report put it, the only major religion on the planet whose supreme governor, Queen Elizabeth II, is a woman. Asked by a lay member of the armed forces, what is the Church of England's definition of a woman, the church's bishop in Europe, the right reverend Robert Innes, replied thusly, quote, There is no official definition, which reflects the fact that until fairly recently, definitions of this kind were thought to be, and this is at least correct, um, self-evident, as reflected in the marriage liturgy, replied the right rev, who should have quit while he was ahead, adding that your church, though, has, quote, begun to explore the complexities associated with gender identity, unquote. And some of us would suggest maybe the church should try exploring scripture. And let's follow that up with this, courtesy of the Substack from Igor Chudov, who says that a couple of weeks ago he wrote an article based on the shocking news that the birth rate in Taiwan, May of this year, 2022, fell by 23.34% compared to May a year ago, which is a continuation of a recent series that he's been writing about a massive 13% decline of births in Germany. And such a decline in Germany is a nine-sigma event, meaning it's so unlikely to occur by chance that it would naturally happen about as rarely as a major asteroid striking Earth. But when it comes to statistics, the change in Taiwan is an unthinkable 26 sigma event of enormous magnitude. He was hoping this was some kind of a data fluke or error, but it's not because the June data has just been released. And as Igor puts it, he's very upset because Taiwan's birth rate, June 2022, is now down by 27 and two-thirds percent, far worse than even the previous month's jaw-dropping decline. And basically, 
guess what? It shows a trend. And writes Fox Day observing that trend. It's no accident so many pregnant women are miscarrying. The number of stillbirths have increased. The number of infants dying soon after birth is also on the rise. And well, the connection of declining human fertility to the poison poke, Zyklon B injection, as your host calls it, is still, as Vox Day puts it, correlative rather than definitely causal. The correlation is now strong enough that it had probably better be reasonably assumed to be causal, at least until we begin to see any evidence to the contrary. There's a message here, folks. While we're talking about interesting correlations, here's another one, this time via strangesounds.org, which says, are we supposed to think it's just another coincidence that the World Economic Forum, and you know the names of some of the servants of Satan running that thing, Cyber Polygon 2022 meeting took place on July 8th, 2022, over this last weekend. And simultaneously, it just so happened that Canada was experiencing its worst Internet outage in decades, causing major phone services to crash, 9-11 credit card and debit machines to be down for quite a few hours. And coincidentally, that major crash occurred on the very same day that the fourth edition of Klaus Schwab's Cyber Polygon was in progress while participating companies actually underwent a targeted attack on their hybrid cloud infrastructure. What are the odds? And coincidentally, this year's primary theme of that conference was digital resilience in the age of the cloud. <laughs> and continues the piece, don't forget, back in March of this year, the World Economic Forum removed Cyber Polygon from its webpage, <laughs> perhaps preparing people for the upcoming cyber war. And that, too, is obviously just another coincidence. He follows up with a number of quotes from people that were at the conference. I think this one is kind of representative. Alexander Klimberg, head of the Center for Cybersecurity at WEF, notes that the Cyber Polygon Cybersecurity Training event helps, and maybe I guess outages do too, raise awareness of cyber attacks across organizations, across borders, and across the public and private sectors. And ironically, as it turns out, the uh, event was organized by two Russian companies, UNT, Z-W-E-F. Huh. Hey, folks, have you noticed the inflation yet? Heading into hyperinflation? The U.S. consumer prices, hey, would you believe they're soaring, have hit yet another 40-year high, while Americans' real wages fell for the 15th straight month. Let's go, Brandon. And we all know that the real inflation level is a lot higher than the lies from the Bureau of Lying Statistics. Anyway, the uh, Zero Hedge piece puts it this way. With the White House having desperately tried and evidently failed to front-run Wednesday morning's inflation print, analysts were expecting a jump higher, led, of course, by food and energy costs. They were in the right direction. But still, what came out was way worse. And even though it was an understatement, the headline CPI figure soared by 9.1% year over year versus only an 8.6% report prior. This 1.3% month-over-month rise is the hottest since 2005. The 9.1% year-over-year rise is the hottest since 1981, and arguably the highest in American history if it were reported honestly. Meanwhile, another story says that bonds and stocks have been slammed, as that hottest CPI in over 40 years sparks a surge in the odds that the Federal Reserve will have to do what? Oh, yeah. 
keep taking away the punch bowl. Peak inflation is here, markets are stunned, and rate hike expectations are soaring. With the odds of a 100 basis point or 1% hike in July, now at 30% and higher going forward. All of which sent stocks violently lower, the euro briefly traded below parity, and bond yields are aggressively higher. Hey, they're still negative interest rate territory, though. In other news that might steal the spotlight from the inflation out of control tsunami, but won't because the waste media is not going to talk about it, the Russian Ministry of Defense, though, says Hal Turner's radio show, issued a very late night press statement saying, quote, we are on the verge of an immediate armed conflict with the United States. This after Ukraine used U.S. supplied high Mars weapons to attack this time a Russian base. As of 7.12 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, at least seven Russian troops were killed by American weaponry, 40 injured, and those numbers are rapidly rising and changing fast. The Russian ministry statement said this, The U.S. and its allies are teetering on the brink of open military conflict with Moscow, which would be fraught with nuclear tensions. Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova added this, After provoking an escalation of the Ukrainian crisis and unleashing a violent hybrid confrontation with Russia, Washington and its allies are dangerously teetering on the brink of an open military confrontation with our country, which means a direct armed conflict between nuclear powers. Clearly, such a confrontation would be fraught with nuclear escalation, unquote. From there, on to the news that the House Committee on Un-American Affairs, yeah, that's what it really is, because they're about as un-American as it gets. Anyway, the January 6th bunch of scumbags are liars. And as TGP's coverage puts it this morning, picked up by the alternative media, and I can guarantee you, probably not so much by CNN and MSNBC, and I suspect strongly that if the January 6th committee even talks about it, it'll be to try to debunk it with the help of their media cohorts and cover-up crew. It says, they all lied, and now we have the proof, although we knew it before. Highly sensitive DOJ documents from January 6th have been leaked, and this story comes courtesy of Kara Castra Nuova to the Gateway Pundit. FBI confidential human source, it says, infiltrated the Proud Boys, ran an FBI operation on January 6th, and actually reported truthfully. You ready? They were innocent, and now they have the texts and documents in full. Will this be the end of Chris Ray, she writes? Well, it ought to be, but hey, not the first time on that score. The FBI and the Department of Injustice continue to viciously persecute the political prisoners, American citizens, and terrorize the public, and now they've been caught. Shame, she says, on the McCarthy-like January 6th Unselect Committee for abusing their, well, illegitimate power anyway, using groups like the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers as fall guys so that they can punish political opposition and consolidate the Bolshevik takeover. This is not the United States that we once thought we were growing up in, and now the lies are being exposed. A whistleblower has leaked a treasure trove of documents and text messages, some mark highly sensitive to the Gateway Pundit, and they contain incredibly exculpatory evidence proving that the Department of Just Us was in fact aware that a group of indicted Proud Boys were really innocent and are prosecuting them anyway. This is Stalinist to the core, folks. The entire dump of documents is included in the links, and again, this is courtesy of the thegatewaypundit.com. They have link after link on their site. They include hundreds of pages of transcripts, audio recorded interviews with the assisting U.S. attorney, FBI agents, and their confidential human source, as it's called, CHS, which claim to have infiltrated the Kansas City Proud Boy group for over a year and a half before the January 6th event, and then kept the FBI goons informed about all that was going on, or more appropriately, wasn't. 
One source familiar with the FBI informant has identified him as James Aaron Knowles. And according to the source, and we've heard the name before, Knowles had gained the total trust of the group and was thus included in all communications. The informant told his handlers at the FBI that the KC Proud Boys group was infiltrating and accompanied them to the Capitol on January 6th. But, quote, they were not involved in, nor did they inspire the breaking of the barriers at the Capitol building. CHS described the scene as the crowd doing it in terms of a herd mentality, and added that it was not organized. The crowd was shouting, stop the vote, as they made their way to the Capitol building, and there were no, let me underline that, no, and by the way, I'm not reading a teleprompter, so I'm not going to say, you know, read the sentence again, or stand up here and wave to the press. There were no overt threats of violence made at that time. Not only that, but the informant also testifies to the FBI that the Proud Boys plan to come to Washington, D.C. to risk their own safety in order to protect average Trump supporters from Antifa attacks so that the MAGA folk could enjoy the day and, quote, get back to their hotels safely. So there's irony in here as well as truth. We'll wrap this segment with a tweet from former White House physician Ronnie Jackson, who pointed out that the Biden Fuhrer won't finish his term because, quote, his mind is too far gone. He shouldn't even be president. Well, there's the joke. He really isn't. And we'll be right back. Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening. I am again your host, Mark Call. By the time we got to the latter part of the week, folks, things were becoming so unhinged that it's almost kind of hard to know where to pick up the story. Suffice it to say, Wall Street is literally coming apart at the seams. Most of them don't even know why or how yet. We'll come back to that one. The supply chain is still broken and getting worse. We'll come back to that one, too. The Center for Death and Control is still lying. They're now pushing the fourth COVID shot with no end in sight. Hey, there's a shocker. The only real end inside of the people who are taking it and then dropping like flies. In New York City, officials are now admitting, oops, we're going to have to change our next pandemic, that it's gay men that are the super spreaders of monkeypox, as cases in that city have more than doubled in one week. Yeah, we're going to need a new pandemic. This isn't scaring folks enough. I looked at the mess I needed to cover in this segment a bit longer than usual before deciding, yeah, I think I'm going to have to start a bit differently, although uh, maybe it's not the first time of late that I've had to do that. So I take a deep breath before I start off and say, wow, seems like I've done this a lot lately, folks, but I've actually got an exchange here between Senator Josh Hawley, one of the more brilliant minds in the Senate, it would seem, and a, uh, well... He, she, it looks human. I don't know what he, she, its personal pronouns might be. And since he, she, them, her, it claims to be a law professor, and I think the key word there is profess, from, oh yeah, where else? Berkeley. But probably not a woman, because he, she, them, her, it really seems to hate that term, and you'll see why in a second. Well, I'll just introduce what comes next by saying, buckle your seatbelts, and I'll get to the point in a second, I think. 
This comes from a Senate hearing Tuesday this week with pro-abortion, and that's probably putting it mildly radical, Kiara Bridges of Berkeley, who has repeatedly used the term, quote, people with the capacity for pregnancy, unquote, in the past, in her so-called academic work, good grief, who appeared before the Senate to talk about the recent SCOTUS decision, basically saying, hey, there is no right to abortion actually written in genuine print in the Constitution, and therefore the right answer is to let the states actually do what they're supposed to, deal with crime and murder at that level. Because if you read the document, you'll note that murder is not a federal crime. Actually, very few things truly are. And you can count them on the fingers of one hand. But during her test line, she was questioned by a Republican senator from Missouri, and I'm proud to say, hey, I come from that state myself, Josh Hawley. I guess he knows what show me means as well. About her terminology, her refusal to actually utter the word woman, notice how we've seen a lot of that lately, especially by so-called, mm, can't say that word, rights advocates and her claim about who can and who cannot actually become pregnant. As TGP notes, not one to mess around, Holly opens up his time by asking the esteemed academic right straight up, do you mean a woman? Uh, Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, There are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. Full stop. No, she's not stupid. Listen carefully. She's just perverse. Trans men who are capable of pregnancy means really they're women. And there's that word she's not going to say. And uh, the rest of the answer here is equally BS. Um, There are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. We can recognize that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. What's mutually exclusive here is what she's trying to pull and logic. The fact that horses and rattlesnakes are both animals and therefore not mutually exclusive doesn't mean that you want to saddle up and ride both of them as if they were the same. Let me try to say this carefully. She's not stupid. She thinks the people who are buying her crap are. And she's even condescending about it. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So this is really key. He's not buying this, and she can't believe, because her students are stupid enough to. How could he possibly question what she's saying? So what's she going to do? Oh, you already know it not answer the question, and fling insults and accusations instead. In other words, let me try to clarify it. For crying out loud, what is your point? You're not going to find out. At least she's a good leftist. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. Now, I've got to interrupt here again, and I'm going to replay this last line just because it's thrown out there as part of the attack. It's really unrelated to anything at hand except for the fact that transgenderism and the attempt to push it can be a deadly affliction. And Senator Hawley can't really afford the time to point out the idiocy in what she's trying to deflect with here. 
How many transgender people commit suicide? Oh, yeah, one in five. Well, maybe, folks, and this is what the actual data seems to suggest, it's because people who are told when they're too young to make a decision that's life-altering and ultimately life-threatening, oh, why don't you cut off your breasts? Why don't you cut off your genitalia? Why don't you take hormones that will forever impact your ability to ever actually have a child or ever actually have a normal family? And later on, they realize, gee, what have I done? And a lot of them end up killing themselves. But that is not what she's going to talk about. She's going to use that as an attack point. How disingenuous can you get? I know she's still not answering the important question. So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important. Because of my line of questioning? Because so we can't talk about it? Because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm is denying that trans people exist by asking Are you? you if you're talking you? about women Are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that the, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you are denying that trans people like this thing. And that leads to violence. Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you? Absolutely. Or are they also treated like this? Where no, no, no. They're, they're told that to they're at opening up people to oh, violence. We have a good time in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow. I, I would learn a lot. I've learned you, a lot. I know. This exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. Yep. What he's learned, what we've all learned, folks, although we've seen it before, is what your host for years has called negative education. People that believe things that are not only wrong, they're so idiotically, so horribly, catastrophically wrong that they destroy lives. And that's what she's pushing. I call it negative education because you have to unlearn this absolutely satanic crap in order to get back to zero, back to being completely, totally, and simply, utterly ignorant. I gotta ask it. Can you imagine somebody actually paying to subject a child, and yes, that is the proper word in this context, to this kind of maleducation? Well, yeah, of course we can. They're the same kinds of people who want to inject their children with poisons that will destroy their immune system. Oh, yeah, and they're more than one to let people subject them to perversion before they hit grade school, much less the age of puberty, and trying to manipulate them. I guess the proper term nowadays is groom them into becoming, well, fill in the pronoun. Oh, and P.S., before I move on, I do have to ask one more question. Did you catch one of the biggest logical fallacies in there that you'd think any sixth grader that hadn't been dumbed down could see right through? Anyone that wasn't an inveterate liar, at least. Senator Hawley made a simple statement of fact. I don't think men can get pregnant. And in no universe of actual logic is that even remotely equivalent to claiming that trans people do not exist. Now, if you want to try to make that into a claim that a man who cuts off his penis can't get pregnant because he doesn't have the internal plumbing, even if he takes hormones and cross-dresses, it's a different logical issue, but the facts end up pretty much being the same. And let me say it again, folks, if it's not abundantly clear at this point. The problem is we're dealing with neither facts nor logic here. And we've now reached the point in society where those who even try are being demonized for it, which is why economic meltdown, societal collapse, and arguably world war are at hand. And since fall of the money, or what now has replaced it, is a key element on understanding almost all of that, let's turn to that aspect of the news today with a headline review. And along the way, at least a brief recap of a few of those stories. First from Zero Hedge. Actually, a couple of these are going to end up being from Zero Hedge. Soaring CPI, we've talked about that a lot lately, has sparked Fed policy air panic across markets worldwide. The yield curve, both short and long, is screaming policy error imminent as its aggressive anti-inflation fight will inevitably trigger anything but a soft landing and, in fact, spark a new round of easing and or QE. Huh? Aren't we talking about raising rates and tightening? 
Yeah, see, that's the problem, folks, with idiocy that runs amok and finally causes a complete implosion. Anyway, this new round of QE and easing that will once and for all crush the credibility of the central planner banksters. Here they go on to talk about various bonds. The 2S30s have now inverted. The 2S10s are the most inverted since 2000. Here's the bottom line on that front, folks. The bond market, they say, was very volatile today with a big spike in yields when the CPI printed. But then it rapidly rolled over. STIRs, they say, are inferring a greater than two-thirds chance of a 100 basis point rate hike in July. September, almost a lock and another three-quarter percent or 75 basis points. And what with rate hike expectations for the year rising and subsequent rate cut expectations as the Fed then bails us out of the deep recession that they triggered are soaring too. Now we have 100 basis points of cuts priced in beginning February 2023. Q1 is pricing in a full rate cut. Well, you get the idea here, folks. It's called a whipsaw effect, but that's just the beginning. Oh, and by the way, the euro has now tumbled to parity and below against the dollar for the first time in 20 years after the latest CPI print. The dollar, again, in other words, is looking like the least ugly house in a really, really bad global neighborhood. This is the fourth straight down day for the Dow and S&P 500. Well, I like Zero Hedge and Tyler Durden's comment here. If you think stocks are pricing in what the stirs are, that's short-term interest rates, think again. Stocks are still bipolar. I think that's a good way to put it. And squeeze-driven, as well as hoping beyond hope that the subsequent easing after the Fed pushes the economy into recession. Can you say the D word, folks? Let's be honest here. Somehow that'll save the day. But the issue is whether they can withstand the path-dependent trajectory required to survive and get to that easing. The Biden puppet is still spouting, or at least reading, absolute idiocy about oil prices. That is, when he's not falling off bicycles, grossly offending foreign governments, and demonstrating what late-stage dementia looks like. I guess one thing everybody ought to be able to agree on, folks, is that that does not inspire international confidence in anything. And finally, it says Zero Hedge in this part of the coverage, a Chicago Fed survey on the outlook for the U.S. economy, at least people are starting to figure it out, has decreased to minus 60 in June. And that's the worst reading since they began the survey. And it's worse than at the very depths of the COVID pandemic and lockdowns back in the morass of 2020. Oh, yeah. All of this is certainly working out exactly as they planned, which proves one thing, folks. It is far easier to destroy than to create. From there, let's take a quick peek internationally before we come back to a bit more analysis. Another story says China is on the verge of a violent debt jubilee as disgruntled home buyers there are now refusing to pay their mortgages. First, it was the violent outcry against the mandatory COVID vaccines, the peace notes, that put an end to Beijing's desire to forcibly inoculate all Beijing residents in just two days, 48 hours. But now it's a grassroots push for what appears to be a debt jubilee as millions of homeowners suddenly have stopped paying their mortgages. A shocking move, and it seems to show that people in China are more in tune with what's really going on than the average dumbed-down American. But it sent shockwaves across China's capital markets and sparked panic within China's so-called political leadership circles. As Bloomberg reported Wednesday night, and according to researcher China Real Estate Information, home buyers have stopped mortgage payments on at least 100 projects in more than 50 cities as of Wednesday, up from 58 projects on Tuesday and only 28 as the week began. The names on the list have doubled every day for the past three days, wrote analysts for the Jefferies Financial Group. And what's behind the grassroots movements? Oh, yeah, negative equity. Investors are concerned about the spread of mortgage payment snubs to buyers simply due to lower property prices and the impact on sales. Who could have thought it? But the lesson seems to be that once people finally begin to figure it out, 
the collapse can spread fast, at which point, says Zero Hedge, Beijing will be faced with a stark choice, either inject a massive amount of liquidity, can you say more money printing to infinity, into the market, or brace for the biggest fear of every Chinese politician, middle-class insurrection. <laughs> and guess which one they're not going to pick. From Todd Maiden of Freight Waves, freight shipments fell by 4.1% sequentially in June, reversing any and all of May's gain, according to CAS Information Systems and data that came out on Wednesday. On a year-over-year comparison, monthly volumes data was down for the fourth time in the first half of the year. And given massive inflation and a cooling in consumer spending as a result, the freight industry appears to be on the downside of the freight cycle as the second half of the year begins. Many retailers, that explains, have been chasing inventory throughout the pandemic, often pulling forward merchandise spend well ahead of normal buying patterns in order to avoid the supply chain bottlenecks and ultimately being out of stock. However, the trend has now reversed course with a couple of retail heavyweights signaling margin pressure because they're now carrying too much stock or inventory that's out of season. Oh, yeah, and you know what that means, folks? At least for a short time, it's Christmas in July, but the sales won't last long because neither will the inventory. And guess what's coming down the pike after that? Hint, in a communist economy, not much. Follow that up with a quick warning, courtesy of Trains.com and All News Pipeline, Stephen Stanford. A July 12th story notes that by a resounding margin, members of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen have now authorized a strike, a move that could come as soon as Monday, July 18th, with a whopping 99.5 of union members voting to authorize a strike if such action becomes legal and, quote, necessary to secure a contract worthy of their consideration. The irony here, folks, is that without diesel fuel, and the Biden regime has certainly been working to eliminate that, the trains aren't going to run anyway. Neither are trucks or jet engines or airplanes or tractors or much of anything else. So it's really getting harder to guess by the day. What is the next excuse that will shut down what's left of the U.S. economy? Or maybe it'll just be all of the above. Satan's minions, though, do have some ideas. Here's an update courtesy of Jim Hoft and the Gateway Pundit called Here We Go. The Gates-funded international evil organization, you know the name, Gavi, the Global Alliance for Vaccines und Immunization. Yes, we will sterilize you with vaccines or maybe kill you outright. They have identified 11 top candidates with the potential to cause the next pandemic. So it kind of gives you a hint where they might be putting their funding, even though they're not going to tell you until after the fact. And no doubt Fauci will be lying about it, too. The COVID pandemic, says the website, wasn't the first to, oh, and by the way, they spell pandemic wrong, wasn't the first to devastate the world. And, oh, yeah, if they have their way, you can guarantee this, it won't be the last. In a new series, they say, we round up the emerging infectious threats that have the potential to erupt into global pandemics. And in case you're curious, you know you'll be hearing these names on your local propaganda outlet real soon now. They include things like Rift Valley Fever, Hantavirus, another COVID-19 variant, the Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever, Lassa fever, Marburg, oh, that's one we've heard before, yellow fever, H5N1 and H7N9, and I bet you they'll have some more H&N combinations, too, to trot out. One called Nipah virus, which is so deadly, many governments classify it as a bioterrorism threat. That fits, doesn't it? And let's not forget the ever-popular chikungunya and, of course, Ebola. And they're going to need them, suggests some coverage from Natural News, courtesy of Ethan Huff, because another 112 people 
people in, where else, New York City have reportedly tested positive for booga booga pox, monkey pox in this case, according to the city's so-called health department. But the trouble is, all of them are said to be homosexual or some other flavor of the LGBTQ plus rainbow. That's quadruple the cases from just a week ago. A lot of them, no doubt, have not been diagnosed. But in spite of their best efforts to cover up the truth that monkey pox is in fact nothing but a gay disease, the CDC is failing to keep a lid on that revelation being reported by local health departments, and thus it's losing the fear factor rapidly. And that means, yeah, good thing Gabby and Gates are working on the next 11 candidates. On the induce the panic or else front, Ashish Jha, the Biden regime's new COVID czar, held a video conference with who else? The evil American doctor Mengele, you know the name, and Rochelle Walensky this week to announce that Americans should now line up for what else? The fourth COVID-19 Zyklon B booster shot injection. They haven't said or else yet, but you know they will. (laughs) <laughs> and I like this. Ethan Huff calls it the moronic ninja variant of the Chinese Fauci flu. And as Walensky bellowed, pulling a Biden gaffe over the scripted portion of her presentation, many Americans are under-vaccinated, meaning they're not up to date on their poison poke. Uh, she didn't call it that, but that's what it is, folks. COVID-19, and it, no, it's not a vaccine either. And I'm going to read this because it's so insultingly idiotic. Quote, not all people over the age of 50 have received their first booster dose. Of those who received their first booster dose, only 28% of those over 50 have been stupid enough, and I put that in there, yeah, to receive their second booster dose. Others, I guess, have begun to figure it out, even if it might be too late for them. And of those over the age of 65, only 34% have taken their second Zyklon B injection. So she said, Quote, my message right now is very simple. It is essential that these Americans, as Dr. Ja said, get their second booster shot right away. Unquote. And are they really thinking people are still that stupid? And then she went on to say how Americans need to avoid thinking that the pandemic is over. Oh, no. As we're seeing, they have more plans. Oh, you will follow in line or else. And we'll see what the or else means, folks, as they play this out. But you know darn well they haven't given up. Oh, and case in point, the Fauci Fuhrer, who yelled at the camera during his segment, saying, Everybody wants to put this pandemic behind us and feel and hope that it doesn't exist. It does! Unquote. It does, it does, it does! And if you don't like it, I'm going to kill you one way or another. How much of this do we have to put up with, folks? Answer. Until we learn to say no, you can expect more and more and more of it. No, they haven't given up, and there aren't enough people dead yet, so they're still working hard. And by the way... Laughing all the way to the bank in the process. I promised a bit more analysis. Let's do that before we run out of time today. From Larry McDonald, author of the Bear Trap Report, also via Zero Hedge. Take the tragedy in Sri Lanka, he says, where they basically engineered, yep, say it with me, a food shortage and famine, and multiply that by ten. The Fed, he writes, just lobbed a financial nuke that will, in fact, obliterate the global economy. Because we're living in a period of mass Jonestown economic delusion, he begins. Just 20 months ago, central banksters were offering to buy nearly every junk bond known to mankind, dramatically distorting the, quote, true cost of capital. 
all the way from crypto to emerging markets, it was a moral hazard overdose. Everyone on earth was borrowing money at Fantasyland bond yields. Now, the Fed's promising endless rate hikes and $1 trillion of balance sheet reduction onto a planet with emerging market and Eurozone credit markets in flames. He goes on to talk about his economic background, saying he spent the last 20 years trading bonds professionally and uh, so forth and so on. Yeah, he's making good points. But he says the true cost of capital has now been distorted for so long, we've seen hundreds of academics clueless to the underlying serpent inside global markets. Thereafter, follow the usual charts and graphs to make his point, including the fact that a lot of economists in 2022 are highly delusional. You knew that, didn't you? And when you look at the underlying situation, interest rate hikes today, he says, hand in hand with a strong U.S. dollar, carry 100 times the destructive power that they did in the Carter-Reagan era. At the same time, add in the lighter fluid of the credit risk fire in emerging markets with a raging greenback. And it boils down to this. The Fed cannot hike rates aggressively into this mess without blowing up the global economy. We're talking about mass Jonestown type delusion on steroids. Emerging and frontier market countries owe the IMF over $100 billion. And when you combine U.S. central bankster policy with a strong U.S. dollar, capital is vaporizing as we speak. And a dollar screaming higher with agricultural commodities, globally priced in dollars, is a colossal tax on emerging market countries. While clueless academics at the Fed, I'm not sure that they're clueless, folks. I think this is deliberate. But as he puts it, they're exporting inflation into the countries that can at least afford it. Oh, and guess what? Trying to hide it here for just a little while longer. Bottom line, a quarter trillion dollars of distressed debt is threatening to drag the developing world into an historic cascade of defaults. So if the Fed keeps their policy path promises, take the tragedy in Sri Lanka and multiply it tenfold across the globe over the next six months. Checkmate, FOMC. Well, there you go. They'll whipsaw and almost certainly cave sooner rather than later. So we'll close with this piece from Bank of America's top rates strategist, former New York Fed analyst Mark Cabana. And as you've heard, when he speaks, even people like Zoltan Pozar listen. And what he says now, according to Tyler Durden, is the Fed will be forced to end QT much sooner than expected. Cabana, whose zero hedge notes has generally been right on target, says we expect the Fed will stop QT with rate cuts due to the contradictory signal it sends on monetary policy and to simplify policy communications. The Fed likely won't want to be easing with rate cuts, but tightening with QT. So Cabana predicts that the Fed QT will be stopped in September 23, resulting in one trillion less balance sheet reduction versus our prior estimates through the end of 24. And so, as Zero Hedge notes, while Cabana won't right yet come out and say it, we will. They called a premature end to QT several months ago. So expect the markets to take a few days or maybe even weeks to digest the full implications of this critical Fed pivot. But once they realize Cabana is, again, right, high beta risk assets, currency debasement hedges like gold and Bitcoin, and, of course, commodities will soar limit up because there's no U-turn from this particular final Fed capitulation. Ultimately, folks, we can step back and take an even simpler summary of the whole situation. When you do this much stupid stuff for this long, there's only one way it ends, and the bottom line is ugly. For the rest of us, though, it means we'd better know who we serve, where we are, what we need to be doing, because time's definitely drawn short. 